When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 70 of The Blathering here on the Knapsack Network podcast feed or on the Ken Knapsack YouTube channel. And I'm happy you're all here. I actually, last week's episode, uh, which was, uh, I understand, a little bit more serious, uh, you know, but you're used to that now. Some days it's pointless discussions about Del Taco and other days it's Serious discussions about the danger of conspiracy theories and why you shouldn't uh, believe anything at the alien uh, UFO UAP hearings. Uh, but I missed something big. I didn't know it. For those on the podcast feed, for those who have been listening since uh, the early days, 2013 to be exact, I didn't realize it, but I, and sometimes I don't believe these numbers, especially I've switched podcast host providers couple times uh, here on uh, Anchor or Spotify for Podcasters, it's called now, and happy here, I will say. Potomatic before that. Uh, this was apparently, according to all the, the numbers on this podcast feed, which has been the same RSS feed since 2013, last week's episode was the 500th broadcast. And that's pretty cool. I'm pretty happy with that. Even if you do, you know, weekly, uh, once a week, every week of the year, that's what, 52 episodes, 500 is a, is a, is a crazy number. And I, 70th of this uh, episode of, of this series, The Blathering, we did about 86 plus, including special episodes of Saturday Night Knapsack. I miss that more than ever now. Uh, Knapsack Files got in, into the hundreds. And life ranked and all those things uh, that, that came before. It's been quite a journey. I like that it's all the same feed. I like that. Uh, if I had broken off the feeds over the years, I don't even know if I'd been successful. I don't know uh, what would happen. I'm happy that I have this permanent record of my life, my journey over the last 10 years or so. And I'm happy where it is right now. And I think before we get into some of the stuff I want to talk about tonight, uh, I, I actually want to stop because I... I love uh, joking in the negative sometimes. I always try to push them in, to be more positive in my humor and, and all those good things. But, you know, I go joke in the negative, meaning I, I focus at it. I poke at it. I try to own the negative. And over the course, and this was something that I worked through a lot on Saturday Night Napsack, as, as my audience numbers began to dwindle, for a lot of reasons, by the way, not any change in my views of the world or change in the styles of the show that probably affected a lot of the numbers, but also just podcast habits changed with COVID and the lockdown and people working at home. Now I get it. Or you just get tired. 10 years is a long time to follow me, right? 10 years, man, is uh, if you, if you were a senior in high school and you're like 18, you're in your late twenties. Now you're not listening to me. You wanted my dumb movie takes. And now I'm doing other things. Nah, you don't follow me. So I have a tendency to look at the, 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 the negative space, the numbers that I used to have, the weekly download, download numbers that I used to have, which were never huge for this channel, but they, they were five times more than what they are now. And in doing so, I don't pay attention 
And I don't give enough respect to those of you who are listening every week, those of you who are on the journey, those of you that uh, forgot to unsubscribe to the podcast, no, those of you who, who are here for it. And I, I really appreciate it. I really, really, really do. There was something that went around last week where a performer at the uh, Fringe uh, Festival, right? No, not Fringe. No, maybe it was Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It was over in Edinburgh, a big comedy sh- festival over there. I, I haven't been. And she did a, a one-woman show. It was like at one in the morning or something like that. She had one person in the audience, which, by the way, I, I haven't been part of that festival. But I know a lot of people have been part of the fringe festivals around the world. And they said that's pretty common, right? So it's certainly not a reflection on you as a performer, uh, your drawing power, anything like that. It's just it's, it's kind of a, a festival that goes at all times at night, different locations. And, and, and so I had some other friends who, this is not anything new. Though. This is conversations that I've had over the last year or two, or, or last five, ten years, actually, quite frankly. Of, oh, yeah, we went to Edinburgh and we performed in front of three people. And then I've talked to people, a lot of the people associated with the Star Wars in 30 Minutes uh, cast. Uh, sell out shows and those kind of things, right? And, and, and so it can make a break. That's why you go. And there was a performer that uh, posted a very vulnerable uh, picture, uh, tears in her eyes, saying just performed in front of one person uh, at the Fringe Festival. And here's, I'm trying to be, you know, trying to move on and be okay with it or whatever she said exactly. And that spawned a, a great reaction. A lot of people coming to, um, virtually hug her, just say, hey, it's all right. And a lot of famous folks, I think Michael McKean, I saw his, was talking about uh, him, him uh, his performing days with the credibility gap. Uh, uh, we performed in front of three people. A lot of other, you know, very famous, successful people saying, we did this, uh, we did this show, and only four people came. One person came. One comic saying, uh, oh, I did a show, and the only people listening were the people that were working there. There was no one showed up to the show. And, and that's important to remember because we've all been there as creatives. Uh, you, 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 you put something out there and you just hope that people show up. And it's never not, it's not necessarily you, right? I'll leave 5% window for maybe it is. <laughs> if you're an asshole. Uh, but that's just kind of the, the growth. Uh, I've been obsessed with um, that moment in David Bowie's career. I've mentioned a lot lately. It's featured in the doc uh, 1971 of, of him playing... Um, the festival kind of as a Glastonbury in 71, this famous, not only famous festival, but this supposedly famous moment in his career where David Bowie became David Bowie. And the reality is the truth of it is he played in front of a a tired, hungover, sparse crowd at five in the morning. Uh, Songs weren't fully formed. He'd been around for a couple of years, but the David Bowie that we would soon know and the world would understand, uh, 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 you know, come to understand as, as, as a genius in the, in, the, in the industry. He wasn't that person yet. And so it's fascinating and it need, it's good to be reminded of that. And so a lot of people came to this performer's um, side to prop her up and say, it's okay, it's okay. They're there, they're there, one person. But it was an interesting moment. And, and, and I, I got to admit, I always kind of preach and make sure you dig and find the actual truth. I didn't go beyond just what I saw, but someone had tweeted out, I was that one person. It was me, it me, and she gave me her all, and she did not do anything but the best for that perform and that performance for me, and that reminded me again whether true or not. You could always, uh, I'm sure there's, you know, I, I, my one of my my late uncles said he was in the stadium, uh, Dodger Stadium, when Willie Stargell hit a home run. It's a famous home run. Hit it, hit it over 
left field and out into the parking lot. And uh, I remember, oh, that's awesome. And I told another friend of mine that. And he goes, yeah, everybody's uncle was at that game. Sure, sure, sure. So I don't know. So I don't know if that tweet was actually the person from the audience, but it reminded me uh, of the other side of it, of be there, be present for those that show up with you, to for you. I wish I could say that if this was, I do live. Be there and be present for those who show up for you. How about that? That sounds cleaner. Put that on a T-shirt or bumper sticker, but you know what I mean. And I think uh, that's a powerful lesson. I won't say which show it was, but Mark Ellis and I, uh, when we go around and do our comedy thing, uh, a lot of times wonderful sold-out shows, packed houses. We squeeze, uh, you know, 80 people into a rock venue that sits 60, or other times we've had... 100 plus, 150 plus, Arizona, uh, when we did that in 2019 with Josh McCuga, big show, a lot of fun. We had one show in Seattle. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. And we both had that, mm, okay, what do we do here? You know? And here's what you do we had about 14 paid, and we performed our heart out for those 14 people. And it was a great time, and they were a great audience. Um, Hunter Hill uh, ended up being on the show. Uh, great, very great, talented, insightful, poignant comic. It opens up for Eliza on the road and uh, Taylor Tomlinson on the road a lot recently. Um, check him out if you, if you haven't seen him. He's doing beautiful, important work, I think, in stand-up. And he's just damn funny. And he just happened to be in the area on the same flight with us and we put him on the show. So those, those 14 or so people, plus a couple staff members, kind of great show. And, and, and we didn't leave going, man, 100 seats and uh, 86 were empty. We did our best to give those 14 people a show, and we gave them a good one. It's one of the things I'm proud about. And so I, I wanted to start the show because I was feeling down lately, again, of the numbers, again, of the success. A lot of this relates to uh, the other show I do with Joseph and Jennifer, Four Center. For those of you that also listen to that show, we've made uh, some temporary changes, which we're not talking or promoting. Struck work, being real strict with that. Spirit of the law, even though we could probably get away with it. Jen's in SAG. We want to protect that, and we just want to support. We want to do what we feel is right. And we, those, and we understand not everyone's going to stick around. We don't need everyone to stick around. But, man, it's, it's, uh, the reality of that decision is hitting us in the face. It's been tough. It's been tough. And, you know, it's not necessarily you. You know, people aren't even necessarily mad. A lot of people, there's a couple of people that have, have bowed out of Patreon and been like, hey, you get what you're doing. I, I don't know why you're doing it, though. I think everyone else is doing Star Wars. Why shouldn't you guys? But all right, I think you're hurting things, but cool. They pack up their bags and leave, which is their choice. And we support it. We're not fighting it. But it, it hurts. It stinks. And... uh I think even last week, I, I went pretty hard on my thoughts on the alien stuff. By the way, I, I go hard again on Force Center this coming week. And that's not the popular choice. And I don't think it's not, it's not necessarily about being the fish swimming upstream. Being a contrarian is not necessarily the, always the best option. But I'm just speaking what I believe in my heart is important about the issue. About conspiracy theory thinking and where it leads. And, and uh, I could go the other way. And I'm already seeing some folks go the other way. And it's working out nicely for them. And I'm down, I'm down about that. And I think we all can get in that spot where you're down about what you don't have. You're down about what you're not getting. And not in a pout, pout, I deserve, but just you're giving your honest best. 
and you're trying and you're doing the work on yourself and you're doing the work at your job. You're doing the work in relationships and it's just not, not going your way. Maybe it doesn't always go your way. Like maybe that's something you live with. And it's so easy to focus on that negative space. So easy. So I average now about 250 to uh, 400 listens per episode on the podcast side, a little bit more on the YouTube side. But, I mean, in terms of I add a little bit to the number. And that was not the case. used to be in the thousands, which is a modest number um, compared to other folks and what they get, in which that's not a comment on anything. That's just kind of the podcast business. And here's where I'm at now, you know. I was really down. Almost the point where I didn't want to do a show today. Had a little bit of the what's the point vibe. I thought about that Edinburgh thing. And this isn't about me doing something good. I'm here for you. I'm showing up for you. No. You all show up for me. You're all following me on the journey. And man, that's humbling. And man, that's awesome. And you know what? I deserve that. I deserve your support because I've gone on a long journey to get where I'm at. I'm happy where I am, happy who I am. So I deserve your support, and I'm going to take it, accept it. And you deserve the best of me, and I hope you take it and accept it. So this week, I'm not going to go deep into aliens, not even going to touch them. That's about as far as I'll mention aliens, other than I still don't believe. And you can as well. I don't care. Just uh, watch your conspiracy thinking. But... We're going to talk about things, talk about what I want to talk about today. But here, here's one of the things. Uh, this is, this, oh, this sounds like a hacky comedy, but I don't have car, this car insurance anymore. I canceled this car insurance policy. I don't have the car that's covered by this. And by the way, if you're listening to the audio, I'm holding up an envelope and a document. A little ASMR almost for you, huh? I've canceled this. And they're still sending me you owe us money, not for the policy that passed, but for the policy that's about to renew in August. Is this what bureaucracy is? Is this what all the great office place sitcoms are about? Because this is driving me crazy. I've canceled it. I've spoken with someone via electronic mail. I've gone into the website. I've told everyone around me who works for this company, thanks, but no thanks. I'm good. The car covered by this is is no longer alive. And uh, I have uh, another situation right now. And I haven't even told them that I've switched insurance companies. I haven't even told them that I now own another car. I've just simply said, you're not needed in my life anymore. I'm not showing up for you, and I don't want you to show up for me. But here we go. Wasted paper sent to me. If I was a hackier comic, we could do some great bureaucracy comedy. Who doesn't love bureaucracy comedy? I've also been down lately because I've been watching the Ken Burns documentary from 2017 with Lynn Novak uh, as well, uh, the Vietnam War. And uh, if you listen to me, a lot of different podcast spots, a lot of times what I'm doing in like my personal time, what I'm watching becomes a little bit of my identity for a couple of weeks because I'm learning from it or I'm inspired from it or moved or shook by it. Uh, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles was that for a while because I was just studying it, watching it, and blown away by the stuff George Lucas and, the, and his and his writing team were were putting into the show. How direct the politics were, and it was just I was fascinated with it. Uh, I, I've been watching um, this documentary because I'm a Ken Burns fan, but I haven't watched all of them. 
He has a lot of docs out there. You think Civil War, baseball, then you're like, I don't know, what else did he do? The War, which is about World War II, the Vietnam War, Thomas Jefferson, I'm going to catch up with that one. That's a bit an older one. Jazz, I'm going to watch that. Prohibition, which I did start watching and then I just didn't finish it and moved and life changed. Uh, one on the Roosevelt's, the list goes on and on and on. And they are documentaries and they're considered documentaries, but Ken Burns is not necessarily a documentary filmmaker. He's a filmmaker, he's a storyteller. And he, in a lot of interviews that I have been watching as well, he goes into, you know, pretty direct uh, um, explanations, I would say, of, of what he means by that. You know, he gets the facts right as best they can. There's some mistakes at times. They overlook some things. And he goes back and says, yeah, anything that you, anything that you notice isn't in a documentary and you Ask why isn't that? I, me and my staff and team have already spent countless hours up all night crying in our, our beer because we know we can't put that in or we didn't get to it or, you know, even a 10-hour doc uh, doesn't get a chance. You don't get a chance to put everything in. And then there's just been some mistakes. Uh, there's something he admitted to in an interview with in the 1997 Thomas Jefferson doc on which the technology did not exist to confirm um, all the uh, horrendous stuff with Sally Hemings and and uh, and the the family claiming that they are descendants of Jefferson that was um, uh, kind of tossed aside in the dock because in 1997 or before that when the dock was made in the early to mid 90s they didn't really have that stuff right uh, like the OJ trial Barry Sheck on the defense team is one of the first to come along and kind of work in uh, kind of the blood sciences uh, patent pending on that term. That's pretty recent, right? In which we can start using DNA and, and blood and samples to really, truly determine things. It's crazy where we are now. Um, and I'm sure AI is keeping track of it as it uh, plots to take us over. Anyways, all this to say, this isn't a, a, a Ken Burns uh, podcast here. Uh, I finally was like, I need to watch the Vietnam War. Because he said something in an interview I was watching on YouTube. Man, what a boring life I lead, right? Just watching YouTube interviews while I have breakfast. And he said they, they decided that they needed to do the Vietnam doc while making the World War II doc. And that he felt uh, this was, um, they needed to do it. And then he, in the process of making the Vietnam doc, this is a war that he grew up in and with. He didn't go to the war because he had a high draft number. So that's the only reason I didn't go in. But he was a you know, child of the 50s and 60s. This is what formed him. This is what he lived through. It was real present history for him and those around him making the doc. But he, speaking for himself, Ken Burns said that upon uh, uh, getting into this doc, upon, to, upon making this doc, which took them 10 years to make this series, very early on he realized he did not know anything about this war about the history around it, about the reasons around it. You thought you did. You understood a lot of the names. You understood a lot of the events, right? Ho Chi Minh, Ho Chi Minh Trail, Tet Offensive, General Westmoreland, Nixon, Kennedy, LBJ. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I know it, man. But he didn't know anything about it. And I was like, I'm, I, I'm fascinated by that because I too... I, I think I would I understand a lot about Vietnam, right? Oh, okay. I've read I've read I've even read comic books about it in the eighties. Uh, Larry Hama, the um, guy behind all the GI Joe stuff, uh, Vietnam vet, I believe. Yeah, um, he had a, he had a separate Marvel comic series just called Nam, uh, 
And I, I had it as a kid. <laughs> and it's not a kid's comic. Man, you talk about comics should be considered as the art that they are. Man, I, I don't know why. I still have, I have the issues. I should pull them out, man. I'm taking another look at them. Um, so I thought I understood it. My my uh, uncle um, was uh, served in Vietnam in the army. My my dad and his brother, my late uncle Nick, were in the navy during that time. They they decided to go to the navy, and um, uh, so their experience with Vietnam was a little different. But they they were over there, you know. So I grew up with that kind of stuff. And you think you know, just like you think you know your st- your World War II stories because my grandfather would tell them, uh, you know, and people. Would, uh, in my uh, neighborhood, I, I lived uh, in a in a townhome complex with a Viet, uh, excuse me, World War II vet, and I, uh, my mom arranged for me to interview him for a school project. It was it was fascinating stuff. So you think you know, but it, when it's all laid down on the tracks, you don't. And I and I've been over the last week uh, slowly watching. It's a ten part doc series, and I think I'm up to episode seven, and it's been hard to take. It's been hard to watch, and that's put a mood over a lot of things too. Uh, a lot of these episodes end, and I don't want to go into the details. Um, it's weird to say spoiler for a Vietnam doc, but I just think it's so powerful uh, uh, what's going on in these docs that I, I'm, it's a gut punch. And I think it's affected my mood and it's caused me to look down, <laughs> caused me to be a little depressed about the podcast and what do I want to talk about. And maybe I should just go on the blathering and just talk about some bullshit, talk about my favorite Del Taco uh, tacos again and talk about 7-Eleven and all the things that people used to enjoy about me. But I, I'm not I'm not there anymore. I want to talk about what's on my heart and my mind and, and, and going back and revisiting the history, revisiting the mistakes and, and putting it together in, in, a, in a story, in an emotional story, which is what Ken Burns and his team does so well, where you feel it even more if it's just the dry facts. I... I I, there's a, I, I do some work on the side for a YouTube company right now, and they, they just their specialty is Easter egg videos, and they don't have any creative creativity beyond that. So I'm, I'm putting together some projects with them. I'm, I'm like very on the side helping out with some stuff, and, and a lot of the notes come back. They just they just want they just want Easter eggs, or they just want why? Well, why did why is this uh, retrospective uh, on the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles? Why is it not written in chronological order? And it's like, well, I'm writing, I'm not writing a, a essay for a video essay for YouTube. I'm writing a song. This is water. This is a river flowing. This ebbs and flows. And I'm telling a story. I'm trying to uh, connect all this emotion from this series and the emotion that's created by the decisions of George Lucas and his team. I'm trying to play in that. I'm not just trying to paint by number through a retrospective. And that's what I love so much about the Ken Burns docs. They hit me hard and I've been hitting, I've been down and out. <laughs> like I, but I've got to finish this series. You got to face, we got to face this uh, history. You got to face who we are. Uh, and um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at uh, right now. So how do we make that? Uh, how do we turn this into a fun, entertaining podcast? Uh, how about this? How about I take a quick break and when we come back, I'm going to get a little angry at Ron DeSantis. Oh, that sounds like fun. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. Um, one of my things in life, I'm going to take a sip of this pineapple coconut hydration drink I got. One of my pet peeves, why I hate the Easter eggers in the YouTube space, at least the ones that stay there. It's still a valuable resource, but, you know, have something to say, you fuck, fuckheads. Um, and uh, um, 
Something happened. Uh, there's so many things I could pick up of, of, of Ron DeSantis, one of the worst political figures, I think, in history. Also one of the, I don't even, tragically comical. He's pathetic in so many ways. And there's a, recently I was, I was asked about why, you know, why I don't like him. And uh, it's just, again, who he is and what he stands for. But here's the thing. Here's a hyper-specific thing he did. To really, I was laughing, but it upsets me because it ties into, uh, and I'm going to try to dance around talking about the specific movies that I spent a lot of time talking about. But it's why over the last year or so, I have been so up in arms, like I said earlier, pet peeve-wise, of, of media literacy. That phrase, that pops up a lot. And it's one of those phrases that has already become a bad word. Uh, people can misuse it. It's something that people fight over, much like the word woke. Uh, I'm not comparing the two, uh, but I am kind of connecting them, actually, when you hear me out here. But, you know, woke is, but when someone like Ron DeSantis is using woke, we got to be anti-woke, we're in a, you're in a different arena, right? And the original intention of the word is being so watered down and misused and weaponized that you, you need to go back to the basics sometimes. So media literacy on social media, particularly X, X.com has been so overused that it's the impact of, of the true meaning of it is, is probably gone already in a short amount of time. But it's what has made me so angry at the space that I still kind of work in the movie, TV news space, the digital media space, the pop culture space. Why I've changed so much of my stuff here. Why Force Center continues to get deeper and deeper and deeper and more specific when we are talking about Star Wars, about what it means and how you can carry that on into your own life. And this is why it's important. And this is why I do consider media literacy to be so important and, and a lack of media literacy to be dangerous, troublesome at best, dangerous at worst. This went around socials past weekend. Uh, Ron DeSantis was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, campaigning, stumping, he played baseball in college, a baseball fan. Got it. So am I. I also don't watch baseball as much anymore because there's so many MAGA types in the game. So I just it's a hard time for me to associate with it. Uh, and he said this. I, w I was looking for video. I couldn't find it. So you're going to get me. I'm not going to do an impersonation of him. I'm not, a, I'm not a Saturday Night Live cast member. That dream died a long time ago, right? DeSantis says uh, he's talking about his son. God bless his son. Who doesn't? He has no choice in this. He's got these two dumb parents. And what are you going to do? Um, the first time we brought him to Iowa, I showed him. Oh, so he can use pronouns. Okay. I showed him the f movie Field of Dreams. Because that was a big deal for me as a kid playing, playing baseball and everything. Okay. Love it. Got it. You're a baseball guy, DeSantis. And Field of Dreams is, is associated with baseball because baseball's in it, in the movie. Uh, put a pin in this. It's not a baseball movie, but I understand that if you're just passing through, it's a baseball movie and, and you like it. Got it. So he says, Ron goes on to say this. So yesterday we were at the Clayton County Fair. And before we got back on the bus, we just went over in the field right next to all the corn and my son brought his baseball stuff and he's throwing balls to me. And he said, daddy, is this heaven? And, uh, and I, I said, I told him it was Iowa because, but uh, hey, it's close, right? And yeah, everyone cheers because Iowa. What a dummy. 
and this, uh, I'm not having it. This isn't a new thought for me because a lot of people saw that or heard that clip from him and had the same exact thought. This is a governor that is changing drastically to a dangerous level, the curriculum in his own state. This is a government, a governor that has, uh, has been one of the leaders in, in, in supporting uh, the, the banning of certain books, right? And no matter how he tries to spin it, this is what's going on. And this is a political party that's okay with that, right? He ain't the only one, right? This is, this is, this is a thing. And here he is saying, I love baseball. Baseball's the best. Field of dreams just means everything to me. And here I am playing catch with my son, right? And so it gets, and me, Ken, I cry at that moment of field of dreams. It's, it's a great moment. It's a great, you know, father, sons, family. It's a big theme in the movie, without a doubt, without a doubt. But so is, and, and this is, uh, you know, I know the movie's based on a book. I, I know that. But in the movie, has this, this the subplot of, of, of the banning of books. The banning of books. Like this has no place in our schools. This is the scene in the movie. What are the fascist? I like these hurt pain. Mrs. Kessinick. Mrs. Kessinick, that book you're waving yeah, about right. is hardly smart. It is considered by many critics to be the classic novel about the 1960s. It's pornography! No, 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 no. The Supreme Court says it's not. And its author, Mr. Mann... is sick! Terrence Mann is a Pulitzer Prize winner. And he is widely regarded as the finest satirist of his time. Yeah, well, I think he's a pervert. He's probably a communist, too. What planet are these people from? Mr. Harris, the so-called novels of Terrence Mann endorse promiscuity, godlessness, the mongrelization of the races, and disrespect to high-ranking officers of the United States Army. All of that, mind you, is what people pour into the bucket of traditional values. And if you're not any of that, then you're against America. In fact, this is the next beat. And that is why right-thinking school boards all across the country have been banning this man's S-H-I-T since 1969. Excuse me, madam. He's probably a communist, right? And, and this is my problem, problem with the 1950s and, and the post-World War II America that forms, this identity that forms, that if you're not any of those things, you are not traditional, you're not against America, and this is why we have to suppress anything that would foster... Uh, the, these kind of dangerous thoughts in folks, right? Annie, Amy Madigan's character, goes on to explain the emotions. Excuse me. Right? These Terrence are the emotions. man was a warm and gentle voice of reason during a time of great madness. He coined the phrase, make love, not war. While other people were chanting, burn, baby, burn, he was talking about love and peace and understanding. The scene cuts off there. That's what I'm talking about, like, even with Ken Burns and all the stuff I'm trying to do here and why you should hold your favorite YouTube movie talkers to a higher standard and some accountability about are they discussing the art or are they trying to understand it? This is just one scene in the movie. This plays throughout it. It's a B plot, a subplot versus some of the major stuff, but it all ties into it. Uh, James Earl Jones playing Terrence Mann and this factors into this. He was a former civil rights activist. They shot Martin. They shot Bobby. Uh, he didn't want any of it anymore. And he goes and, f and, and, and starts programming computer programs for children, right? Teaching the next generation. And 
the powers of B, they need to control this, right? You guys know where I'm going. I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything new. So for Ron fucking DeSantis to sit here and tell uh, potential constituents in Iowa, I love Field of Dreams. It's very important to me because I love baseball. And I played baseball with my son here in Iowa. It's comical. Number one, I do you have to doubt if you even watch the movie? But two, I actually believe he did because this is a problem that drives me crazy and keeps me up at night and why I'm so cantankerous on these goddamn shows and these goddamn movie chat box shows and these movie reactors, reactors and all these things. You, sh- you should do what you want. You should make the money you want, but have a goddamn point about what you're trying to talk about. Have a point, have a purpose to the art because you're talking about art. And when you fail to understand art, you have this kind of situation where someone like Ron DeSantis and his voters and his followers and his fans and perhaps his family can sit and watch a movie of Field of Dreams and only come out of it thinking, what a great baseball story. Nothing is about what you think it's about. It's never just on the surface. It's part of it. Field of Dreams has a lot of great baseball in it, but that's not a baseball movie. I have one uh, friend I, I, don't, I haven't talked to in a while. He played Major League Baseball. He'll, he'll go on Twitter because he loves to argue or X that bot, whatever. He'll go on. He loves well, – well, but once a year I'll see him post on social media. Field of Dreams is a horrible baseball movie. Anyone who considers it a good baseball movie uh, should be shot. He'll say it's one of those dumb, super manly kind of things. And I, I never want to engage him in the argument because I just want the time. But it ain't a fucking baseball movie, man. Are you that – Adult of adult? Are you that of a dullard that you look at this and only see it as a baseball movie with some fatherhood themes? It's such a deeper movie on so many levels. For people like Ron DeSantis to sit there, watch that movie, consider it one of their favorites, and have it inspire them in terms of baseball and fatherhood, and they miss an entire subplot with Christian nationalist, traditional value fascists trying to burn books because they dare suggest other lines of thinking or deeper thought or connect to emotions that they don't understand. For you to watch that movie and to come out of it not understanding any of it or, in fact, ignoring that is not just comical, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous thing, and it fuels so much discussions in the world. I'm trying really hard, really hard to not directly promote these movies because we're trying to be really strong about it on Force Center. And there's a lot of other people that aren't in that position. They don't have the room to, to shift gears with their shows, and I get it. A lot of them are my friends. I'm trying to be respectful. There's also a lot of people who are showing up, taking some picket line photos, and then they're still talking about this stuff and promoting it and promoting struck work. But I'm not here to wag too many fingers. I'm just kind of upset at the hypocrisy. So I'm trying to stay true to it and try not to be a hypocrite here. But I did see the Barbie movie this weekend. It is not just everything it's cracked up to be. It is more than that. It is more than that. It is a piece of important art. Haven't seen Oppenheimer yet. Barbenheimer. Yay. What a great dual marketing thing. Uh, I do want to see it. I do want to see that film. When I have 19 hours to give, I'll go see it. So at the risk of being a hypocrite and promoting this movie that, that was made by a struck company. I, I'm willing to risk the hypocrisy because it was such an important story to take in. It moved me. It's about so many things. A lot of it about life and living and 
going with the change and that's never easy and that's hard and it's a risk. And when things aren't perfect, you have the chance for pain, but pain is part of the experience. There's a moment early in the film it's set in the real world portion of the story that involves Barbie on a bench. It's not too long into the movie. It's pretty early on. And I clued into what was happening. She's looking around and seeing this. We already have spent time in her world. And instead of a comical, they do some comedy fish out of the water, a real a, a, a doll come to life in the real world. There's some of those beats early on. But the movie doesn't stay there, doesn't live with it, because that's not what it's about. And you see her experiencing all of the just experiences everyone else is having and, and suddenly realizing in a split second that, that that's not what she's lived thus far. It moved me to an to a unexpected level. I, I started crying. And I never stopped all through that movie. It's such a beautiful piece of art. And yet here we are. And I always say, you don't have to love everything, right? Um... If the movie wasn't for you, it wasn't for you. But I would say this, at the risk of sounding like some rage click abating podcast host with a beard, um, don't trust anyone who says that. Push them on why. Push them. Go deeper. Comedy didn't work for me, and it's just not for me. Fair. I, 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 that's okay. Um, but push them deeper, because there's a reason why. And there's so many bits of conversation out there about this movie being anti-men. And it's a feminist movie. Absolutely is. But there's a lot of conversations about this, this movie is anti-men. Uh, that this movie portrays all, all men. If every man in that film is bad. And it's another, you know, woke attack on toxic masculinity which translates in those people's minds to an um, attack on just masculinity in general. And uh, it's, so, it's so just goddamn wrong, right? And it's so dangerous because this, this goes out. So you have like a, an absolute dimwit fuck like Bill Maher saying this on his show. Have people tweeting this stuff out. And it's all the usual characters, right? Again, press them as to why. Ben Shapiro's a grifter. Of course, he's going to do an hour, two-hour video on why the movie sucks and it's horrible and it's a woke liberal agenda and blah, blah, blah. And there's a trans Barbie out there. They'd, of course, he's going to do that. So he gets his money. If you were to actually push him as to why, he, he, he might not even fully understand why he has such an uh, um, internalized hate for himself and why this movie represents so much of what he can't be. This, the Barbie movie... Uh, while doing a spectacular job of of um, going into the the experiences of women, there's an America Ferrera speech in there that I was surprised we weren't in the theater applauding. I was ready to, but no one in Burbank wanted to. But on the specific specific issue of this movie being anti men, um, this movie is is pro men. Pro is. Uh, those who identify as male, those who are um, locked into prison. There's no need and no, no correct way in which you can 
contrast and compare the experiences of everyone here. So I'm speaking in some kind of generalities. I'm not saying anything of my experiences on the level of, of just a woman trying to walk down the street without being catcalled or harassed. Um, but the danger of toxic masculinity, why it is, 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 is something that should be spoken about often and, and why people should understand it is, is to see what it truly does. It destroys the lives of so many people around us. There's a big f war. There's kind of a war scene in the Barbie movie that's very funny. It's kind of funny and played out in a funny way, but it's the, the theme behind it is, is they're in this war because these, these men can't um, stop being the, this version of themselves they think they have to be to stop fighting. And I'm watching this movie the same week I'm getting deep into the Vietnam War doc. And it's the same thing. Oh, there's a lot of geopolitical issues and uh, the French uh, colonizing Vietnam and, in, uh, you know, French Indochina, that whole thing. There's, yeah, there's a lot of issues. Vietnam is not a black and white, cut and dry issue. But there are key moments in the Vietnam War in terms of America's involvement in which the powers that be knew they should get out of it, knew it was a trap, knew it was a loss. And they couldn't. They couldn't face it. They couldn't fight for peace. They couldn't comprehend that, and they couldn't do an about-face. They weren't big enough to do that. And that is, to me, a giant example of toxic masculinity that destroyed thousands upon thousands of lives. There's a point in 1965 where the Secretary of Defense, Robert McNamara, is just like, we can't win this. 1965. The war would go on for 10 more years. And there's a vet... A, a Vietnam vet around this point in the dock who says, that's when I'm looking back, angers me so much. I didn't get there as a soldier till 1968. You're telling me three years before that, the powers that be knew they could not win, but they continued to go forward because they knew not another path. That theme is present in the Barbie movie, though not stated explicitly, that they're going over to talking about war. But that's the prison that men trap themselves in, that every day, what you are, your, 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 your strength, your power, your toys, your tools, your guns, your trucks, uh, how many women want you, how many women you can conquest, how many women you can take because they're yours, power, jobs. That's a prison we put ourselves in. Those things broken apart and put on their own are not necessarily bad things. A good paying job, leading people beneath you, triple figures, triple, you know, six-digit uh, salary, fancy car. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing by himself, no. But when it is what defines you, Ken wakes up every day, and his day, how his day goes, is based on how much Barbie pays attention to him. That doesn't hurt Barbie in this situation. Women do get hurt by this, but it hurts him in this situation. What a horrible existence. And that's the journey he goes through. And to the question of, is there not one good man in the story? Number one, Michael Sarah's Alan, I think is a good, good character. Yeah, other than some of the comedy that's played with the business side of it, but uh, you know, Will Ferrell has this character and everything. Uh, you know, they are what they are, parodies of, of business and power and, 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 and the workplace, uh, you know, po politics and everything, all that and corporate capitalism, all that kind of stuff. But even those characters, I would say, 
the movies portraying them and all the men as good. They're just trapped. Trapped by the society that they are also benefiting from. Patriarch, patriarchy obviously benefits them, but it's undercutting them and destroying them and, and, and absolutely cuts into their existence. So to me, the movie is saying that, yeah, all these men in this, in this particular film are actually good. They're just in a system that's destroying them just as much as the people around them. And wouldn't you want to be free from that? Because you don't have to be that. It doesn't have to be about that. It does not have to be about the conquests you have, the jobs you get. There's a great running bit about Beach. Beach Ken, not lifeguard Ken, Beach Ken. He is Beach. He's good at Beach. That's what he is. He is Beach. Can't you imagine a life where you don't have to be Beach? Uh, the, the tagline of uh, that whole kind of uh, plot is, is Ken is me and I am Ken. And by the way, it's great to have my name popular again. Me and my buddy Ken Plummer, we're like the only, we're like the only Kens left in our world. And uh, I think now we're going to be more Kens out there. Anyways, that's what the movie's saying, among many other things. So to have some dim-witted souls take to the airwaves and call this movie anti-men, call this movie woke trash, call this movie, uh, 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 you know, saying this movie portrays all men as bad, that willful, intentional misreading of this art is destructive for the people that believe it. So Ron DeSantis watches Field of Dreams over and over and over again because he likes baseball, and it's got baseball, Ray, all in the movie, and it does. You're missing the story because he has a lack of media literacy. He then is part of the party and part of the people that are bringing pain to so many, destroying lives by banning books, banning art, and banning anything that does not prop up traditional American values. Destructive. It's a, it's, a, it's a misreading of media to a dangerous, destructive level. So when I go off and on about it, I hate to be the Debbie Downer in the corner of the room. I was Debbie Downer last week because y'all want to have fun with aliens. And I'm like, it's a bigger problem. And be aware of the bigger problem. I think people don't want to discuss movies with me anymore offline in real, uh, in face-to-face -face, in real-life situations because this doesn't change for me. If you say you don't like season eight of Game of Thrones, I'm going to try to do my best to shrug and say, oh, well, I do. But everyone seems to want to turn life into an episode of movie fights and they want to debate it. Oh, well, the, the season eight of Game of Thrones did this. You're free to not like it, but you're not free to misinterpret it in front of me. And I've been nearly finger in the face of a lot of people. I'm not fun at these kind of parties. I try to avoid these conversations because it's dangerous. It's not just about Game of Thrones. It's about how you see the goddamn world. And a lot of my friends who have already tweeted things out about the Barbie movie and misread what it is saying about men and masculinity because no one's saying you can't be strong and, and hack uh, lumber in the wilderness and, and lift weights and get a truck. We need that too. We need people to chop wood, you dummies. No one's saying that's got to stop. No one's saying that's what makes a man. 
That's the problem. You know what I mean? That's not what makes a man. Free yourself of that. Be you. Not some idea of what you're supposed to be. But this misreading destroys people. And a lot of the friends, what I was saying is a lot of the friends I have who, who, who are saying things about this movie are still the ones saying shitty, dumb things about Last Jedi. Shitty, dumb things about Game Even moments that they love them misread. I've gone over and over and over and over on the Jon Snow moment in season six of Game of Thrones. Battle of the Bastards, uh, the preamble to that great, uh, amazing sequence in battle in the show. But it's the moment where Jon Snow and his army has a plan to draw out Ramsey Bolton. Dime Ramsey Snow. But Ramsey produces John's youngest half-brother, Rickon. And in that moment, as Rickon is brutally, brutally killed in front of him with an arrow in a, in a heroin sequence, John Snow gives into every, every worst instinct impulse he has. He's toxic to himself in that moment. He does not keep to the plan that would keep others safe, that would win the battle, win the war. He gives into his passion, his rage, from an understandable point, which is part of the challenge of life. It's his brother. His brother's murdered in front of him by a complete madman he's trying to defeat. His sister and the other folks around him, particularly the women around him, have tried to counsel him against even getting to this situation, about waiting for what's right. He's not trusted them. He's been pig-headed and stubborn. And Jon Snow, who's on a viable lesson to learn what actually being a hero is, fails in this moment. He charges out to try to save his brother. He fails. Now finds himself alone facing a stampeding army. And it's one of the greatest shots in the show. It's one of the greatest moments in the show, without a doubt. Jon Snow, with a sigh, pulls his sword out, draws his blade, prepares to die at the hands of the charging Bolton army. He's saved by his soldiers. Eventually, when the battle was truly about to be lost, he's saved by his sister and the army she brings. The battle ends in the crowning moment of victory that he's about to take and you think is his. He realizes the lesson that's not his and he gives the moment to his sister. That moment is one of Jon Snow's biggest failures. It's a failure for a lot of men to learn from. But all the men I know don't like modern-day Star Wars because Mary Sue's and Luke Skywalker wouldn't do that. He'd take his blade and strike everyone down. Mecha Luke. All the people that think the Barbie movie is anti-men. They also misread that moment. How you take this stuff in is how you view the world. And it's important to look at the art and what is intended and what is there. You don't have to like it all. Because when you don't understand, you get to a moment like fucking Ron DeSantis. Colin Fielder dreamed one of his favorite movies. A movie that directly and explicitly states and discusses the dangers of banning books. And here he is part of a movement to do the same thing, no matter how he or any other person would try to slice it. All of this matters. 
all of this matters. It's not just about dusty, dry dates, Easter eggs and videos. That's why I always say I, I got tired of the schmodown after a while in terms of competing for the Star Wars thing. Because I just looked around and realized this is fun and it's fun for a lot of folks, but people were taking it serious, which is the right. But knowing trivia answers does not mean you understand what these stories are trying to tell you. And it was less important for me to understand who the fifth X-Wing pilot was in the Battle of Yavin, but it's more importantly to understand what that battle was about and what it meant to me. And what does it make me feel? And how do you understand this world? I couldn't stop crying after the Barbie movie. Could not stop crying. Grace was crying too. We drove home in tears. Laughing. Couldn't stop. It moved me in a, in a way I kind of suspected it would because people were telling me that it would. But it did something special because it's art and it has purpose. And if you're out there trying to create, if you're out there doing YouTube content, TikTok content, what are you trying to say? Yes, we can all be silly. Yes, I sometimes put a lot of things out there that are silly. Yes, once again, I'll have a silly conversation about fast food I like. But even that says something about yourself. And to not understand the true meaning, to not have a bigger purpose in your art, and to not look at art. If you're not a creator, but you enjoy all this stuff, what are you pulling out of it? Because what, what does that say about you? What do you want to do with that? What do these movies make you feel? This, this, this company I kind of work for now, everything I pitch has, 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 is based around what does it make each and every person here feel? Because none of you have answered that. None of you have discussed it. Although, if you don't understand why and it doesn't make you feel anything, then why are we here? This is the world we live in. This informs us. It informs us. It absolutely does. So, from Ron DeSantis to Barbie. That's where we are today. Do your part to try to understand the art in front of you and do your part to ask those in your lives, whether they're on YouTube channels or at a bar or at your picnic or your family. When they say they don't like something, that's fine. But when they say they don't like something and they say it in a manner that's meant to destroy other people's joy about it, destroy under other people's understanding of it, or shows a gross negligence for what the art is actually saying. Press them. Dig deeper. Push them against the wall figuratively and say, great, you don't like that movie. Why? Why? Well, the, the director, the, the comedy, the pacing. Why? Why? I got nothing else. This is The Blathering, the 501st episode of something on this podcast feed. Um, and I want to thank you all for showing up. And I'll keep showing up for you. Additional support can be um, uh, given at patreon.com slash catnapsock. If you want to get a Hope t-shirt, hit the merch level and join up there. I really appreciate those who support me there. Or that uh, listen, just spread the word. Don't forget, comedy shows are on the way. Sports card ASMR. Everything's out there. Enjoy it. That's it. That's a blathering. Bye. Thank you.